because if I set boundaries, then if I do that, will that person not respect it and, and abandon me or reject me? Will they, no, will they no longer show up for me if I am not just the giving tree who's just giving, giving, giving all the time? Um, and then the feeling of shame I'll have if I, if I, if I try to set a boundary and, and these other things happen to me, how bad might I feel about that? Welcome to Stigma is Curable, a new mini-series offered by The Promethean Project and Break the Chains, Find Your Flame. Our goal is to have conversations about certain stigmas in mental health and physical health and wellness. Each month, we will invite a guest speaker, an expert, to come and present to the community about a specific stigma and have a community conversation to break down the stigmas and create connection. stigma is curable today which is actually 10 days before this will actually be on facebook live well facebook <laughs> event um is our last and final stigma is curable for the year of um 2021 and we are so honored and excited to have a good friend uh, rebecca fiddler lmhc on today to talk about boundaries um, but before we jump into boundaries and, and talk about the ins and outs that exist with that and the stigmas related to what healthy boundaries look like, especially going into the holiday season, I just want to take a personal note and thank everyone for tuning in to these stigmas curable um, events. We've been really blessed to have good outcomes and a lot of people tuning in. Uh, a couple thousand people looked at all of our events in, in summation. And so we feel like it was a real win to have different presenters come in and talk about areas of expertise and break down the stigmas and myths that exist um, from diagnoses such as ADHD, uh, talking about sexism and racism, um, talking about addiction, um, talking about trans mental health, things of all that nature. Uh, we as a company, the Promethean Project is just feeling really blessed to have everyone tune in and have our wonderful guest speakers um, come in and offer their insight and field questions. Now, as I was saying before, today's is a little bit different because I'm re recording with Rebecca before um, the actual release of that. So there won't be a question and answer portion of today's segment, but if you're tuning in, feel free in the Facebook event for this Stigma is Curable, feel free to post questions, feel free to email me. You can email me at info at thepromethianproject.org and we'll get those questions out to Rebecca and she'll respond to them um, and we'll, we'll field it that way. So this is a little bit different, but no less informative, no less in interactive than Facebook Live. So uh, that being said, Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for being here today. And I'm going to kick it over to you so you can talk about all things related to boundaries. Thanks so much, Steve. I'm really honored and to be part of this with you guys and supporting all things that the Promethean Project does. 
for for people for highlighting mental health, um, taking the stigma, and trying to minimize it with what is is associated with mental health. So thank you so much for having me uh, to be here for you guys, and thank you to all the listeners for doing it in this really funky way of it not being as interactive uh, as as it usually is. Uh, that is. I always prefer to feed off of the energy of people. So as much as COVID has taught me to do talks <laughs> without having people looking back at me, um, I also I also learned that I can talk for about three hours without having anyone even on the other screen in a talk I did once that recorded. So uh, my family got quite a kick out of that, knowing that I can, in fact, talk for three hours without anyone talking back to me. <laughs> So I won't put you guys through that today. We'll keep it at a condensed version. Um, but the the topic of boundaries is what we're what we're going to cover, and I'll share my intentions of that uh, shortly with what I'm hoping to provide you all with today. Uh, so uh, just a little bit about why me, why me talking about boundaries, and why would anyone want to listen to me talk about boundaries? Uh, is well, I've been in the field of mental health since the early 2000s, uh, working with a wide range of clients, uh, all the way from four years old to 70 something years old in terms of the spectrum of things, done a lot of work with teenagers. If you ever want to learn about boundaries, <laughs> um, revisit your teenage years or work with teenagers, work with little toddlers. Um, there's nothing that will show you how people do boundaries better than kids or better than looking at how you did it as a kid, which we're gonna kind of get into. Uh, and then with adults and working with boundaries, a lot of times what I'm working with is the, the boundaries that they've already established and whether or not they're working for them anymore. Are those boundaries healthy? Or unhealthy? Are they are they um, are they working for them? So that is how boundaries comes into play all across the spectrum uh, of people. Um, I have a practice here. I'm in the eastern part of Massachusetts, uh, Taproots Behavioral Health, where I do see clients, but I also do a lot of this. So uh, when I branched out to do private practice, using my voice to try to help larger amounts of people all at one time instead of one-on-one -on -one was something really important to me. That if we can share knowledge, share kindness, be genuine, then hopefully we can cause a ripple effect with that. So um, always glad when I get an opportunity to, to share my thoughts with an audience. Um, I do not think my thoughts are better than anyone else's thoughts. I realized how that might have sounded. Um, I like the conversation aspect. I like the the details of what what I might be thinking about something versus what others are thinking. So obviously that part will be missing a little bit for us today, but hopefully can come up in conversations after. So boundaries. I have to tell you guys that boundaries is probably one of my like top three most challenging topics clinically, uh, not so much in a one-to-one -one session when I can dig deeper to understand how someone has the boundaries they have and why they're there. It's more in this type of setting because it's such a huge topic that is so unique and specific to an individual. So 
when I have to walk it back and try to bring it into something that is more uh, condensed, I, I end up feeling like I'm missing things or that I might not touch upon something that resonates with, with every person. So I'm gonna do my best for that today. Um, my other hard topics, self-esteem and hygiene. Goodness gracious, don't ask me to talk about hygiene with a client because that just like, I can't do it, I can't do it. Uh, so <laughs> boundaries, we're gonna see what we can get out of this. My clinical style is that whether it's I'm in a group like this or I'm one-on-one, -on -one, is I like to look at what's happening right now. And then I like to dig in for what and how it got that way. Uh, I jokingly refer to myself sometimes as um, an emotional archeologist, right? To go back in time, to look, to see how a behavior got to be that way, what, how an emotion got to be attached that way and, and figure that out for people. Boundaries are no different. We establish our boundaries. We learn our boundaries really early on in life. And then we spend our life validating those beliefs and those thoughts through our experiences. So I'm gonna explain a little bit more of that in a bit too. Uh, so the other part that I wanted to cover with you guys today is about just some language around boundaries and how we, how we ourselves use language about them and how we develop our feelings about even the word boundaries or boundary, but also uh, when we then want to create different types of boundaries, how we can use certain types of language to be better heard by others. We ultimately have no control over what someone does once we've shared our words, right? But, but we can at least try to tailor our language so that what we intend to say about our boundaries gets heard best. And then what someone does with that is on them. But, but we get to be okay knowing that we communicated and articulated our boundary in, in the best way for us. So we're going to share a little hints on that as well. Okay. So you guys are going to see me lean over a little bit because in true Becky fashion, whenever I do a talk, I have like good old fashioned notes. Um, I can't help it. I can't stray from it. I have tried. <laughs> it doesn't work well for me. So I keep my good old pieces of paper right next to me the whole time. All right, so one of the things I was thinking about this morning was how, how do I feel about the word boundary? Uh, that what, when I say that word or when I say boundaries, what feelings come in for me when I, when I am thinking about that? I'm also a sharer by modeling kind of what I'm talking about. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that with you guys too. I realized for myself that boundary has like a negative association with it. That, that for me, when I think about setting a boundary, creating a boundary, having boundaries, the number one word, and I don't think I'm alone in this, which is why I'm sharing, the number one word that came up for me was that when I have a boundary, I'm selfish. That, that in some sort of way or for some kind of reason, which I know because of the childhood stuff I was talking about before, right? I attribute boundaries to selfish. Like if I'm not giving, 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 then that must mean I'm selfish. That is not true. Logically, my logical part of my brain knows that is so not true. 
But emotionally, the emotional part of my brain can't let go of that being that first filter of how I view boundaries. So one of the things I wanted everybody to be able to do is just kind of sit for a moment, whether it's during this talk, after this talk, journal, whatever it is that works for you, and really try to identify what words and emotions come up for you when you think of boundaries, right? So that's just mine that I shared. Other people would have different ones. When I tried to think of it outside of my own mindset, I imagine that there are plenty of people for different life experiences that have positive words associated with boundaries. Boundaries are protective. Boundaries, um, they they guard me. Uh, Boundaries are uh, safety, right? There's a lot of words out there, feelings out there that can attach to boundary. So I think to explore your own, which will then help you to understand if you're content with your boundaries or if you want to adjust them, you got to understand the language you attach to them because we can fake it till we make it. We can set a boundary. We can say, you know, you are not, I'm not going to tolerate this behavior or this action in my life anymore from you, whoever you are. Right. But if we view that as selfish, we're going to then carry a guilt with it when we set the boundary. And the whole point of creating a healthy boundary is to be able to do it without feeling guilt about having a boundary, right? And being being okay, being empowered by your boundary. So challenge you to think about what words and emotions come in for you when you are thinking about boundaries. Uh, I mentioned before about how this topic is hard because it's so unique and trying to provide enough information for people that it feels like it resonates without um, without honoring the specific uniqueness of it, I guess I want to, is what I'm trying to say. So I'm hoping that what I share next about this will, will land that way. Uh, we all have our boundaries for a very specific reason, right? We, we have these experiences in our life, things that taught us that boundaries are important for a reason. What we, what I believe, I guess I should say, what I believe happens is that when we look at the stages of our life, we can attach certain memories or experiences to how we learned boundaries through them. So at the risk of sounding a little bit clinical, I'm just gonna have to share this piece of it. If anybody out there has heard of Erickson's stages of development, um, a theorist, you could Google it. Actually, do I have, I thought I had one of my stages. It's probably small though. I'm going to see if I can hold it up to the screen though, just as an example, because when I look at how we develop things in our emotions and our behaviors, most frequently, when I look back at these Erickson stages, I can attach the thing that we do in a stage to the topic. So for instance, this one being boundaries, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's see here. Here's an example of Erickson's stages, like what it looks like. Steve, I'm going to look for a head nod. Can you see it? Okay. But is it backwards? Okay. Okay. It's not backwards. Okay. So the part that I'm going to focus on the most here guys by holding this up. Okay. Is that first section trust versus mistrust. So 
when we look at the root, the very beginning root of our boundaries, I look at this stage of trust versus mistrust. Quite literally, if you believe in these, the point of our life where we figure out if other humans are people we can count on and depend on. And then we start to develop all these types of rules or boundaries around how we're going to let people in to do that. So from birth to 18 months is this phase. So when you think about birth to 18 months, we can't do much for ourselves. <laughs> in the beginning, we definitely can't do anything for ourselves. We need other people in order to thrive. When we have experiences that when we cry, our needs get met, we start learning before we're ever going to remember that we learned it. We start learning that people will show up for us and we start learning what to expect from others. And we start learning how to ask for help or how to share something, uh, express something that we need. If we have an experience in that time period, when we're in our earliest, you know, zero to six months, zero to nine months, where we don't have words, we can't use things, to, we can't say something, and we express a need and those needs are not met, then we are then learning something totally different about the rules about people, about vulnerability, about asking for help, about people showing up for us when we think that, or when we need something or we want something. So during this stage, I truly believe is when we start to actually make some hardwired rules in our brain about what we can expect from others. I truly believe when we learn what we can expect from others is how we develop our own rules about boundaries with people. So am I going to be someone that, um, here's an example. If I'm now this fiercely independent adult and I look back, well, someone tells me because I can't exactly look back to the time frame, right? And if someone tells me, or I'm aware of what my childhood experiences were like during those ages and my needs were not always met, I would have developed some hard wiring in there that taught me, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm not going to rely on anybody else. I'm not going to count on anybody else. And I'm not going to let anybody else in to try to do it for me. Right. So kind of, it, it's a good example. It might sound extreme, but these are how things happen. So uh, when we think about that trust versus mistrust stage, then we start to develop our unique ways of how we're going to establish boundaries. The next stage, when we look at um, ages three to five, is initiative versus guilt. Probably can't see that super good, but I don't know why I'm even showing it. I don't know proof that I have it. I don't know. So um, initiative versus guilt. So we, we actually, we skipped the stage, whatever, that's fine. Initiative versus guilt is the three to five one. That's the next one I wanted to talk about with boundaries. This is where now picture three to five-year-old. I know Steve has a kid. I have some kids. If anybody out there has a kid or lives life around a kid, right? And you are in the age range of three to five. I don't know if I know a better age range to say those peeps know what they want. They're going to let you know what they want. They're going to let you know how they want it. And they don't really care very much quite often how you feel about what they want. <laughs> They're going to say what they need how they need it. And they're going to let you know if they're not satisfied with the outcome, right? Like, so this is where in boundary talk, they, we start to experiment. What happens when I push this a little bit? What happens when I, uh, if, when I act this way or that way, right? Like, what do I get in response from, from people? 
if you have had the experience where you have known a kiddo who didn't get needs met in that trust versus mistrust category, then quite possibly you're not looking at a three or five-year-old like I described. You're looking at a three or five-year-old who just wants to please you, who will do, won't say much in terms of being um, typical development things, uh, defiant, bossy, right? Like they won't do those types of things because they don't know for sure they'll be loved after they do it. So in those experiences, you might see a total other side of something with boundaries where somebody is realizing they need to, they need to do life a certain, another way in order to feel safe and loved. Uh, so during that age, we start to then collect more evidence of how we're going to have our boundaries later. So what happens, right? We have these, we develop these rules in our head. Most of the time, subconscious, we don't know we're doing it, right? It's not like I have a memory of being four or five years old and saying, that's it. I'm going to do this in life this way. And then I go out, you know, for the next years and collect evidence to support my belief. That's not how it works. So this subconscious belief comes in, but it lands, it stays, it makes a home. And then we have these experiences in our life that typically validate the belief that we have, because those are the ones we're looking for more. Um, even if we've had a whole pile over here of things that didn't validate our belief, we tend to discredit those ones and put them aside and hang on to the, the, the evidence that we've validated. So at three to five, what we're doing is we're collecting more and more evidence that whatever rule or boundaries I think I need in life in order to feel safe, loved, and worthy I'm going to start collecting evidence of that. That goes on throughout life, right? So now me in my 40s, I still do a really good job of collecting evidence for the beliefs that I started with. We all do, right? What happens is when once we have this knowledge, we have the, the power, the, the belief, the authority within ourselves to dispute it now so we can adjust it. But the core things that came in for me when I were little, they still have a home. I just know what to do with them now, right? When you're three, five, uh, teenager years, whatever, you don't know what to do all the time with it yet. So then when you look at the next stage after the three to five, you have a five to 13 year gap, which is about industry versus inferiority. That's all about being competent. How do I fit in this world? Um, how do I belong in this world? So what happens for boundaries is that when we then are learning to create them, whether they're with adults in our life or with our peers, we get all this feedback about whether or not our boundaries are working. During, these, during this stage, a lot of us, I wanna say honestly, most of us, because the, I'm gonna combine the two stages here guys actually, because the next stage 13 to 21 is all about identity. So if I blend these two, the significance of these years, five to 20, let's say, is when it comes to boundaries, is that we collect a whole lot of information about how we're going to fit. We have a basic human need to belong. So in these years, when it's all about, am I competent? Am I worthy of love? And who am I? And will other people love me for who I am? This is 
this does a doozy on us trying to figure out our boundaries because boundaries are how we let people in and what we do for them in order to belong, if that makes sense. So these years are so critical within, when then we as adults are navigating the world and having relationships, what we'll tolerate from others, what we'll give to others, what we tolerate in our work environments. Uh, our history has dictated a lot of that for us. When you are engaged in the process of trying to learn yourself better, you can have these types of conversations and whatever evidence you have collected, it doesn't become, like I said, this permanent, well, this is just the way I am. It's going to be this way forever. I guess I'll just buckle up. It's not like that. You can work through it and you can evolve it and change it. Let me tell you guys, condent making this bigger when I'm used to doing individual is really challenging <laughs> because what I want to do is take every single person that's listening and be like, okay, you get five minutes and you get five minutes and let's just pick apart yours right now, real quick. Um, and, and to just kind of leave it open like that. I'm the type of clinician that likes to wrap up my session nice in a bow before I send you off. Right. So to leave it open and just be like, okay, go think without having a process part is, um, it's a little challenging at the moment. So I want to stick with the style of boundaries here with all this information I just gave you. And I want to show you my next little thing I'm going to hold up. I don't want anybody to be alarmed by my artistic talent right now. Um, I, I can probably make a copy of this and send them out signature wise via email. If anyone feels they really need to have this hanging on their wall or something, but I want, um, I want an autographed copy. Just, okay. Just, so you, just don't be alarmed. There are three, there are three visuals I'm going to show you. Uh, you can let me know which one you like, you like best. Awesome. Um, it is, it's pure talent. You guys, pure talent. Um, I want to show you guys one of the, my version of one of the best images that I saw 20 something years ago when I was running, I think my first ever group on boundaries and I was digging through Google to try to find good information. And this, these particular images are the ones that stood out to me the most because all these years later, when I think about boundaries, I think of these three things. I hope you feel prepared. Okay, I'm gonna first show you the image of what an open boundary is. Steve, if you could just go, just kind of raise your hand. Let me know which one you like best. Okay. So <laughs> open boundary, nothing around the person. All right. So in this open boundary, you have you and your energy, your, your love, your, uh, your, your moods, your feelings, your behaviors, they're just all out there for anyone. You're just giving them away. Anyone can take them. You pass a lady in the grocery store. Sure. Have some of my mood, have some of my feelings, have some of whatever, have, have my behavior, right? The open is exactly that. There is not anything containing these boundaries. You're just going to give, which sounds to me, the person who thinks boundaries are selfish, right? The open part is like, that's lovely. Oh my goodness. The openness would mean. I'll be loved by everybody. Everyone will find me helpful. Who could possibly have something negative to say? I'm just such a giver, right? So open is, I don't even have rules. Take what you want. 
Um, interesting little fun fact that I didn't plan to say, but this just popped in my head. If you're not familiar with the book, The Giving Tree, um, I have used, I have actually read the entire book to, uh, to audiences before in this particular topic, when we're trying to assess and understand what is my boundary and how did it get there? If you haven't read The Giving Tree, I recommend it. I love it. My husband would tell you it's one of the most depressing books he's ever read. I feel like it's pretty controversial in that way. I love it for so many reasons. One of them being how it shows boundaries because the tree just gives, right? The tree just gives and gives and gives and gives. Um, this causes people such anger uh, that this tree, this boy keeps showing up to this tree and saying, hey, I need it. And the tree's like, take it take it right to the, to the point where the tree, there's a, there's a stump. All that's left is a stump. And even when the tree's a stump, the boy is back and says what, what he needs. And he still gets to sit on the stump. That level of open boundaries makes people in audiences sometimes so mad because what they see is the tree being used. The tree is just giving stuff away. And this boy just keeps coming back, taking more and not giving anything in return. For many people, that would be the, an example of, there you go. Yeah. That would be an example of, of an open boundary. If you haven't read it, you know what, even if you have read it before, go back and read it with the idea and awareness of boundaries in your head and see what you, what you think about it. Can I just interject real quick? Yeah. Because I, I just saw this come up and I think I was talking to someone on a podcast about that. Have you seen the someone updated the ending of that book? I didn't see what the ending was. Yeah. I saw the headline that someone had updated it. Have you seen the ending? I haven't seen the ending, but I've seen a, a clip of what the cover would look like. And it's called The Tree Who Set Healthy Boundaries. And it's just the boy asking for an apple and the tree says no. <laughs> I just want to check it out. I'm going to check it out after this, but I, I just thought it'd be a, a cool aside to. Yeah. To so that's actually a really great segue to my next artistic skill. Okay. Closed boundary, <laughs> right? So closed boundary is totally contained, right? So let's go with the giving tree again, right? There's, I'm sure there's a whole lot of context with the giving tree and the rewriting, right? A closed boundary would be you walk up to me and you say, can I have an apple? And I just, no. Right. And, and I just, I, all, forever. You walk up to me, you need something. No. You want something from me? No. <laughs> you want to get to know me? You want me to be vulnerable with you? No. Right. Closed boundary is somebody who is, again, for their own unique life reasons, very guarded. They are protected. I feel so confident to say that the people that have closed boundaries just like the people that have open boundaries, life taught them that was safer, right? So that person who has closed boundaries, they could desperately wish that they could loosen them a little bit, but it feels so unsafe to be vulnerable and to do that, that it's easier to stay closed. Um, we, we in our society have language that, right, we might describe this person, they are... Um, Sometimes they're viewed as the angry person that doesn't talk to a lot of people. Uh, sometimes they are guarded, reserved, shy. Um, 
I'm not saying every person that you would attach these words to has closed boundaries. Please, my goodness, don't walk around being like, I'm going to draw you something to describe you, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying here. Um, it's just examples of what the closed, what we often use for words to describe someone that might have closed boundaries. Um, so that closed boundary person is, has learned their ways of why they want to do the things that they do with protecting themselves. Uh, I had a note there I wanted to say about that. Oh yeah, I'll come back to it. Okay, third drawing. So this is what we would consider healthy, right? So when we when boundaries are gonna look this way, we don't, we don't refer them as open or closed, we refer to them as healthy. There's a somewhere in the middle. So this somewhere in the middle, healthy category, Steve, you're gonna get this copy, the very first one. <laughs> Um, healthy. You can see the circles there, little dashes kind of coming in and out. This is a person that has learned ways to say, you can't come in, but you can. Um, that behavior is not okay, but this one is. Uh, that feeling is uncomfortable, but this one is something I can tolerate letting in, right? Like healthy is this awareness of, um, how protected do I need to be, I guess, when I think about boundaries, right? Like how, how much do I need to preserve uh, of myself? What level of vulnerability feels safe? And who gets to have it, right? So healthy boundaries is, is also something where people can be aware of, okay, I can have a certain type of relationship with you, but that's as far as I'll go. Whereas another person gets another level of a relationship because that part feels safer, right? If it's about um, behaviors, um, I don't think that's the word I want to use for this. Maybe it is. I, I, I guess the example I'm thinking of is family, right? We're coming into the holidays. So many people who are fortunate enough to have family spend time with family, Sometimes when we spend time with family, it's fantastic. And we have all this love in our family. Sometimes we still show up on Christmas Eve and we're like, why am I hanging out with my drunk aunt again? And my cousin's running around and this one's doing that. And my mom's crying in the corner because someone upset her, right? Like, but we, we still go, right? We, we I don't know. We, we still go because it feels like it's what we're supposed to do or something, right? This would be why I struggled with the word behavior with this, because this is also an example of boundaries. What situations do we put ourselves in because it's expected and it's always been done, but does it feel okay for us to do that, right? So um, had to just kind of throw that part in there with it because I realized I was focusing a lot on the relationship piece, but boundaries are also about actions and, and what we'll tolerate with behaviors. So the healthy boundary is the boundaries that we can, we know we can set them. And it's a bit like we're our own personal bouncer, right? Like you can come in, you can't come in, you can come in, you can't come in. And then what we can tolerate within that. This isn't some cookie cutter model where it's, you are one of my amazing artistic drawings. We can in different experiences and different circumstances have different levels of boundaries, right? So there might be certain things where you are, uh, environments where you're much more closed, certain environments where you're a little more open, other ones where you are a little more aware of the 
healthy, you can come in, you can't category. So another kind of challenge or, or thing to think about is how much do you adjust your boundaries in the environments that you're in? Uh, how much do you change who you are in different environments and around different people? And are you okay with it? Right. So when I'm talking to individual clients about relationships, experiences, situations, the one of the first things to kind of tackle and think about is, are they okay with it? Right. Because just because they're okay with a certain thing for their boundaries doesn't mean I'm okay with it. Just because um, Steve is good with something with his boundaries doesn't mean that that boundary works for me. And being able to respect other people's boundaries is a huge part of, of respecting them, of, of embracing them um, and knowing that they look different. Okay, the note I had here that I wanted to tell you guys about open and closed. So the other thing that I did when thinking, sorry, my computer's moving for a minute. Um, the other thing that I did the other day was I started thinking about, okay, if, if there's really open boundaries, what feelings or words get attached to that? And if there's really closed boundaries, what feelings or words get attached to that? What I found from my own little experiment with that is actually the words for the most part were exactly the same. So for whatever it's worth, since clearly the study that I have done involved one, me, <laughs> um, it's not going to be published anytime soon, but in this experiment that I did, here's what I came up with. If we develop boundary rules about our experiences and they're based and so then our experiences taught us to be very open. I asked myself, okay, if I'm super open, what am I trying to avoid, right? Like, what am I afraid of that, that the boundaries being so open are what I feel I need to do? Avoiding feelings of guilt, avoiding feelings of abandonment, rejection, and shame. These are the words that came to me, right? If I'm so open, I want to avoid feeling guilty. If I have set a boundary for someone and then they are upset with me, right? Guilt might come in. Um, if I set a boundary with someone and so this is why I'm so open, right? Because if I set boundaries, then if I do that, will that person not respect it and, and abandon me or reject me? Will they, no, will they no longer show up for me if I am not just the giving tree who's just giving, giving, giving all the time? Um, and then the feeling of shame I'll have if I, if I, if I try to set a boundary and, and these other things happen to me, how bad might I feel about that? So what this person who's always open wants to do is be overly available, right? Um, in the sentence that goes in there somewhere, this, this um, statement that, that found a home before we even had the language for it in our earliest developmental years, when I am available, I am worthy of love right? Like, so, so then we spend all those years, like we talked about before, those chunk of years getting evidence that see, look how loved I am when I allow all of this in. Really the fear I have when I'm too open is that I will be left alone, right? That, that, that I won't have people show up for me. Um, if I, if I start creating boundaries, then I looked at 
okay, what about the person who's super closed and doesn't let people in? And I asked myself, clean slate, asked myself the same question. What feelings am I trying to avoid by keeping myself closed? Abandonment, rejection, shame, and vulnerability, right? That those things then don't feel safe to me. If I put myself in that fully closed bubble, I'm afraid if I let people in, if I loosen my boundary, then people aren't going to show up for me the way that I hope that they show up for me. Um, that being vulnerable is, is scary because it is, by the way, <laughs> when we don't know that the other person's going to show up for us. So if I'm super close, being vulnerable feels scary. So then it feels safer to be guarded and these words attach for someone with these super close boundaries as positive words. It's good that I'm guarded. It's good that I'm protecting myself. Um, it's better to be skeptical and untrusting of others than nothing will get by me, right? Because then I won't be hurt. I won't be disappointed or those other types of things. So the statement, like I said, in the two open one, when I'm available, I'm worthy of love. The statement for the person who's too closed is could sound something like, when I protect myself, no one can hurt me, right? It's, it's this way of saying, this is how I establish being worthy. I am worthy by, by showing how strong I am to not let somebody even take me down, to not even let that in. I realize those might, those might seem like extreme examples. I, I want you guys to know I'm doing the extreme on purpose, right? It's not, this is not, like I said, the cookie cutter. This is what it is for everybody in every situation. This is just sitting with what comes up when the fears are that, when I thought it started thinking about them in fears. So the kind of challenge there would be looking at yourself. And if you put yourself in a too open or too close category is working through with, with someone else, again, with a journal, um, with, it would be awesome if you had access to working it through with a therapist to talk through what, what the fears are, what, how do the fears motivate the level of boundaries that you have? Because when you can address those, you can start to modify them a bit. And I'm not saying strip them down completely or seal them up completely. You can aim for that healthy, the little stick figure with the dashes all around it. <laughs> Hashtag goals and see what happens, right? Um, now, because I know we're gonna be coming to the end of this and I did promise I wouldn't talk for three hours, um, is language. So when we, well, let me back up. The hope is if we are ready to state a boundary that we will be able to have understanding on the other end, that if I become, uh, I'll use my word because this is how it feels in all genuineness, brave enough to state the boundary, then the last thing I would want to happen is for it not to be understood what I was trying to say. I want to be clear. I want to feel understood, right? So that's what I would hope for people to have. This is where the art of communication comes in. And when we take a moment and think about, okay, who am I talking to? And what is the language they understand best? We will have a higher rate of being understood ourselves. 
if I know that the person I'm going to talk to, if their first go-to most of the time is defensiveness, I'm going to modify my language a little bit to try to disarm that defensiveness so I can be heard. You're not doing that for the person. You're doing it for you to be understood, right? So the first step is understand who you're talking to. Understand emotionally uh, what they are capable of hearing and taking in so that you can then find your right words. So some hints for some language with stuff. Sounds very clinical to say this. You know, you, most people have heard things about like, say I statements, not you statements. That's because it's true. <laughs> um, so language that puts it on yourself, right? That what benefits me is fill in the blank. I know it may be hard for you, but what benefits me is, you know, fill in the blank. Um, what I know and what I've learned about myself is fill in the blank. Uh, what I have learned I need right now, or what I learned I need in these situations is fill in the blank. Um, if there's, if someone invites you to something, you don't want to go, right? Like, or whatever it may be, right? Sometimes I wish I could, but I, I'm not able to because blah, 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 blah. You share as little or as much as you want to about that. It could be, I'm not ready for that right now. Um, I have a five-year-old and in our town, I think like a lot of towns, they teach about the power of yet the word yet, right? I can't, I, I can't do that yet. So it's not, I can't do that. I'll never be able to do that. It's, I can't do that yet. There's no reason that that needs to stop when we're an adult. I'm not ready for that yet. Um, I'm working on that, but it doesn't feel good to me yet right? Like that's okay to say the power of yet is pretty powerful. Um, you could say my experiences have taught me fill in the blank and that's why I will or won't fill in the blank. Um, one of my personal favorites, because I'm not fantastic at saying no, is I let people know what I'm working on. I'm working on saying no more. I'm working on recognizing when I need to stop, I'm working on showing people that you are a work in progress or identifying that you are aware of something and that you are trying something new. Many, many people have compassion for that. It's when they don't understand why you're setting a boundary or why you've all of a sudden made a new rule. Go back to the giving tree. If the, if the tree gave the boy everything and then one day the tree comes back and is like, can I have an apple? The tree's like, no. Right. The boy's going to be confused. What do you mean? You've taught me for 35 years. You'll give me what I need. And all of a sudden you're like, no, right. But most people would be like, okay, you know, and then you're going to get those fears met, the rejection, the abandonment, explaining a little bit to people about why you're saying what you're saying or doing what you're doing gives insight to them. And so many people will give compassion back. Not everybody, but so many. Um, so. What I would say about that is there would be a couple things that I wouldn't say um, with or wouldn't do with setting a boundary. Um, you know, you go in, you know, hot and heavy. You're ready. You're going to set that boundary. You're going to do it firm. You're going to do it clear. You're going to be assertive. But when you do it assertive, it might come across as aggressive. And then you're 
not going to be heard. What people are going to respond to is your emotion around that. They're not going to respond to your words. So be very careful when you're setting a boundary that if there are a lot of emotions around it, that you have those controlled, that you are focusing on your words so that they can hear your words and not see all your emotion. Um, You can't help it if you get a little teary. You can't help it if you get a little angry or frustrated, irritated. Feelings are allowed, but it's about how controlled we are when we're expressing what we need for a boundary. That's going to help people hear us. So, um, you know, coming into someone and telling them what they need to do, um, unless they've asked for your feedback on what they need to do, they're probably not interested in what you think they need to do. So be careful about approaching when your boundary is that you do actually wish someone would respond to something differently, not saying I need this from you, or I need that from you, not in a certain way. You can still say that with other words. Last key piece I'll give you, uh, Virginia Satir, a family therapist, uh, I'll never forget it when I was learning all about family therapy, had this uh, model of communication she did with families, stroke, stroke, kick. If you need to say something hard, you know, put a little something in there ahead of it, it, disarming it. Disarming it does not mean I'm gonna praise you, praise you, and then be hard, right? Stroke, stroke, kick can sound like, working on boundaries is really hard, and I see you trying, and I'm also trying, here's one of the things that I'm going to do moving forward. Um, Stroke, stroke, kick can sound like, I value your friendship. You're important to me. And it's hard for me to say no to this right now, but I'm going to say no, right? Um, Stroke, stroke, kick can sound like, I don't think you meant to do it, but when you did it, it hurt my feelings right? Like stroking doesn't mean you're giving permission for someone else's behaviors or actions. It means you're trying to soften so they can hear you when you say what you need from that. So in that way, that helps us, hopefully helps people receive our words and then receive our boundaries differently. That was a very condensed version of boundaries. I could just keep going and going and going. I hope that this made sense then in some linear way. I go into a zone when I'm doing these talks and afterwards, the first thing I ask Steve or whoever else is, did I make sense? Because I just get caught up in the flow. So I hope that I've been able to connect some of the dots along the way for the different bullet points I wanted you guys to be able to receive today. Uh, And that just remember boundaries are always evolving. It's I can know all these things. I just said a lot of facts and information to you guys. I work on boundaries all the time. We all do because we all have a whole bunch of lived experience that taught us how boundaries make us feel and setting new boundaries, loosening them or protect or making them is always going to feel a little uncomfortable at first. So just know that. It's, it would be expected and predictable that when you create a new type of boundary, you're uncomfortable. But when you're uncomfortable, then you can work through that change. And anytime I've been able to work through an acknowledge shifting of a boundary, it really does feel better after you get through the discomfort. So it won't always look pretty, but it'll feel good after you've done it.
thank you guys very much. I hope I've provided you something helpful today. Um, again, I'm not willing to sell the art on Etsy just yet, but we'll see what happens by popular demand. Um, so just ask any questions that you guys need through the, um, the email that, that Steve had shared before. Happy to answer anything that comes into your head. Thank you so much, Becky. Uh, that email again is info at the prometheanproject.org. Um, so much awesome stuff was shared. I, I think it does make sense. So let's put that to, okay, good. to rest you. in your mind. <laughs> I really, you. I really like the language part of this because it is so pertinent to kind of figure out how to engage in that way and how yeah. to set those, especially if you feel like it's selfish to do it, you know, having to reframe it for what you need is going to be triggering for that. So I like what you said. Um, yeah. The stroke show kick is fan, such a fantastic thing to keep in your, in your mm -hmm. mind when you're doing this. I, I took some notes on that and I'm going to change it to be uh, I'm going to call it skateboard boundaries. Right. So I'm going to yep. call it stroke, oh, nice. stroke, kick flip. Yeah. Right? Nice. So like yep. the pushing or push. Yeah. push so I'm, I'm playing around with it. There you go. You hear I about like skateboard it. boundaries at, at some point. There you go. You did it here first. <laughs> <laughs> I um, love that. Cause that is the concept. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's a, a great thing to kind of remind yourself as you're communicating with someone and how to do that. So again, thank yeah. you so much for for all of this and you know carving out this time to come talk to us today. Really excited for this to get out on the twentieth and you know have have people uh, take a look at it and just remind everyone who's listening, whether a professional or an individual who is interested in hearing about this, uh, everything's ever changing. It's not like you can always be in that healthy boundary. You have to take stock and where you're at and really be introspective. And I think it's a great thing for the holidays, but I think also like with COVID and the pandemic and everything of that nature, it puts a lot of uh, boundaries into perspective because we've brought stuff, stuff so closed in. And so, oh, so yeah, for sure. And it highlights the, the insecurities, right? When we worry what other people think and, right. or what other people are doing, we're comparing things, but then that goes back to what's the fear? What am I afraid of by setting this boundary? And when we can address that, we can tackle it differently. Thank you again. We're so honored to have you on here. Everyone Thanks, listening, so honored to have you be part of the Sigma is Curable events. We're really excited about it. And if I ever have time in the new year, I might edit everything together and, and do some kind of documentary on it. So uh, I don't know. I, I never have time, but <laughs> it's possible that that will happen. Thank you all. <laughs> Thanks.